0: and is uh, placing membership with us again. Helen, Diane Walsh, can I have you stand? Welcome back. And uh, I know that you'll, you'll welcome her back tonight after we are, we're dismissed. I want to continue the story. We read these words. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole family. Great story. Father, we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear these great words anew tonight. We believe in the greatness of your gospel with all of our heart because of the ways that it has changed us. And while that, that change has sometimes been gradual and at other times been rather abrupt. We're thankful, Father, that you are you are molding us and sanctifying us and empowering us and changing us and transforming us into the likeness of Jesus with each passing day. And we have great joy and a, a growing strength of, of character and a, a strong fiber of of hope that that cannot be broken, Father, in our inner self. That helps us with poise and, and with a, a certain kind of buoyancy to, to, to face every adversity, every trouble, every every good thing that comes to us in this life. And and to to deal rightly with them, Father, in a way that makes makes you the preeminent and prominent one in our life, above, far above, miles above all others. Thank you for this story. And, and its, its, it's meaning and it's tenderness and it's kindness and poignancy to us, Father. We're so thankful for this great Word. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Luke gives us three stories. Why does he give us three stories? He gives them to us. Why? It is my question. There's Lydia and there's this unnamed slave girl and there is a jailer. Why does he give us these stories? Well, I'll, I'll get to that at the end. But I, I want to look at what's happening in these three stories. One of the things that we see, is, and it really stands out, is that all three of these people are absolutely different from each other as anybody in the ancient world and even in our modern world could be. How so? Well, think about their ethnicity. Lydia, we are told, is from Thyatira, which is modern day Turkey, which means that she is Asian, even though she is living in Philippi, which is in Europe. The slave girl, probably Greek. The jailer is probably Roman because all the good civil servant jobs went to retired Roman soldiers. And so there's quite a bit of diversity, I think, in the story in terms of the ethnicity and then economically. The fact that Lydia was from Thyatira yet had come to Philippi meant that she was very well-to-do. She was a dealer in dyes, which is what Thyatira was known for. And if you want to, to put it in modern terms, she is, in a sense, a a fashionista with a home in the Dominion as well as one in Paris. She is a very well-to-do lady. And she has influence, and she has power, and she has means. Now you come to the slave girl. She is at the other end, the utter other end of the. Say that 50 times real fast. She is at the other utter end of the spectrum. Lydia is powerful and influential, whereas the slave girl, not so much. She is vulnerable and she is exploited. And when you get to the jailer, what you have is a solid member of the working class, blue collar, maybe XGI, somebody that would live near Randolph Air Force Base, say. And so you've got Lydia living in the Dominion and eating at the silo. You have the slave girl who is analogous to one of the homeless living near a parking garage on commerce. And then you got the middle class soldier jailer type who sits in his garage with his friends watching football and drinking beer. And these three different individuals, ethnically and economically, who probably never ever ran in each other on the street, are about to find common life with one another. In 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 a manner of speaking, their worlds generally speaking would never have collided. But that's not the only way that they're different. Rationally, they're different way. They're they're different as well. I mean, there are different ways of thinking, and basically, there are three ways that it can be broken down: the way that we we think about life. There's cognitive, there's intuitive, and there's concrete relationally. The cognitive person says, "I need you to give me some arguments. I need you to debate me. I need to some." some evidence, and I want to reflect on the evidence before I I come to a conclusion. The intuitive person on the other end wants feeling. They want encounter. The concrete, relationally person, which most people are, they want the pragmatics. What are the ten steps to a better relationship? What are the five ways that I can get rich? What are the, the three ways that I can end an argument? Concrete, relational people want the pragmatics. Now think about Lydia and what we're told by Luke in Acts 16 about Lydia. She wants academics and she wants arguments and she wants reflection. The slave girl needs a powerful emotional encounter. She's not in her right mind. You can't quite have a discussion with her. The jailer is like most of the people that you're going to run into in San Antonio. He is impatient with academics, turned off by emotions. He's the kind of guy that justifies not going to church with the statement, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one. But their difference, spiritually, uh, or, or spiritu- spiritually speaking, is where they begin to find that common ground. Lydia is spiritually empty. She has achieved something that even today, in most parts of the world, is, is very difficult for a woman. Luke describes her in 1614 as a worshiper of God, which me- meant that she was a Gentile that had turned from her pagan roots. And they began to meet with Jews and to listen to the Scripture and had begun to seek God. And any person who turns from their roots like that, I mean, you think about the kind of the violence they're doing to their heritage. For a person to turn from their roots like that, they're seeking something to fill a spiritual hole that is in their soul. She's affluent. She's influential. She's powerful. She's in control. She can buy whatever she wants. She doesn't have to think about it. She never goes hungry. She can take care of the bills. But something else is missing. Slave girl is the opposite of sorts. Where Lydia is probably a pretty controlled person, the slave girl is out of control. Look at Acts 16.16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Now, that's not exactly what the Greek text says. It literally says that she had a spirit of python. In Delphi, there was a temple of Apollos where the oracle of Delphi lived and he could predict the future. And the temple was guarded by a giant python. And in those days, when you came upon a person like this girl who would speak wildly and make predictions, you would say that that person had the spirit of a python. And her parents... You know, just in in kind of thinking about what was happening in the ancient world, her parents probably sold her into slavery because of her wild behavior. She has owners. And she's probably been sold into slavery because of the wild behavior, and her new owners were using that and using her to gain their money. In other words, they were kind of pimping predictions of the future. And when Paul and Silas encounter this woman and hear what she has to say, they know that she is possessed by an evil spirit. She is, in other words, because of that spirit, in utter torment. Spiritually, she is restless. She is in turmoil. She is in despair. An evil spirit, Paul and Silas see, is inside of her. Lydia knows something about God from being a God seeker. The little girl, slave girl knows something about God through this evil spirit. And then you have the Roman jailer who probably doesn't know anything about God at all. And on top of that, he probably cares nothing about God. They are all different ethnically, economically, rationally, but they all need the same thing spiritually. In every possible way. They're different individuals. They're different kinds of people. They're at different places and at different stations in life. And yet, God comes after each one of them. Each one of them. And even more profoundly as we read this text, God comes after them in three different ways. Let's, let's think about the way that He tackles Lydia and, 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 and tackles her mind and, and, and sort of subdues it to the message. What God does is sort of overwhelm her by a direct assault on her heart. And He comes after the jailer uh, by, by shocking him with a changed life. First, God comes after Lydia like this. Paul and Silas show up on the Sabbath, the Shabbat. The Jews are meeting at a prayer meeting. And he gives a message that touches on some of the things that she has already learned as a worshiper of God among the Jews. She knew that she was supposed to obey God. She knew that God somehow made atonement for sins through the sacrifice of animals. She knew that God had entered into a covenant with His people, the Jewish nation. And so while she understands that there is this substitute that makes atonement for our sins, we fall short for, for obeying that law and that's what causes that, 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 that sin to, 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 to become evident in our life and somehow that's all taken care of by the atonement for sins, by the blood of this animal. It's still probably pretty vague for her. And so Paul comes and teaches, and this is what we read in verse 14. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. That word respond in the original language, sort of in modern vernacular, would mean something like she, she heard it and she got it. You find the same word in Luke 24, verse 45, when Jesus opens the minds of the apostles to understand the Scripture. On that day, they got it. When Paul is teaching and God is working on Lydia, she gets it. She gets the message. And and when she gets it, her emptiness has ended. And what had God given her? A Bible study, a Bible discussion, arguments, evidence, in a sense, a theology seminar. In this message that Paul is giving, this information that he is sharing with her and all of these things are attractive to her cognitive mind. And she gets it. Now we come to the slave girl. Come to the slave girl. You notice that Paul does not say to the girl with the spirit of a python that he recognizes with Silas as an evil spirit. He does not say, you know what we need to do? We need to sit down and have a Bible study. Let's meet at the Starbucks. Order some lattes, let's open up the word and let's study. No, she comes after them. And she's possessed. And she says that Paul and Silas are servants of the Most High with a message on salvation. Literally, they are telling you the way to be saved. Now, isn't that intriguing? First of all, Lydia did not know the Gospel at all. Lydia worshipped God and tried to be a good person. This slave girl, on the other hand, is enslaved to a bad master on the inside that makes her a slave to bad masters on the outside in physical, literal life. And yet she knows through the Spirit there is a way of salvation. And so Paul doesn't say, let's have a study, I'll bring you the parchments and you bring the lattes. No, he says, he he confronts in the name of Jesus the bad master who has powerfully enslaved this girl and shows that Jesus is more powerful, more glorious, more merciful than the bad master. She sees Jesus as the one who breaks the power over the bad master when she is released from that bad master. In other words, there is a power encounter that is going on here and this woman is experiencing the power of Jesus in her life. And then thirdly, we have the jailer. One of the first differences you see here is that Lydia and the slave girl gave Paul the opportunity to be an evangelist. Not so with this jailer. However, the jailer is reached and the question is, how, how is this done? What, what does the jailer get? Lydia gets the academics and the message and the information and the facts that change her life and melt her right down. This, this girl that is possessed by an evil spirit who, and that evil spirit is revealing to everyone around that Paul and Silas are the ones that are giving this message on how to be saved. What does she get? She gets a power encounter in which she is broken from the bondages of this bad master. What does the jailer get? Well, it starts with the healing and the conversion of, of the slave girl. When the owners of this girl see her the these slave owners of this girl see that their source of income is taken away because this, this demon has been exercised from her. They start a race riot. Look at verses twenty and twenty one. They brought them before the magistrates and they said, These men are what? Jews. And they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. What they've done is said, hey, we Romans know how to live. The Jews have come in and disrupted everything. These Jews are doing things that we Romans should not do. And there is a riot and they are beaten. They bring Paul and Silas to jail and they tell the jailer to take care of them. And asking this jailer to take care of them is like asking James Bond to take care of someone gently. He tanks them and he puts their feet in stocks. I don't know about you. what do you think of when you think of stocks? I, I think of Puritans. I think of the stuff that you find in New England. I think of, you know, a pilgrim you know, with his hands and his head through pieces of wood. This was actually, in the ancient world, a pretty painful thing for a person with short legs because the holes in the wood were often very far apart. And in some ways, you know it was a form of torture. So why did he do it? He wasn't told to do it. I don't know. The text doesn't say. Maybe it's because he's a bit of a racist as well. Maybe he wants to score brownie points with his boss for going the extra mile. But then there are two things that happen. The first is that Paul and Silas, and to me, this is this is one of the passages that I think about in Acts probably more than any other passage. Paul and Silas in in the middle of of, of this, this 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 racial. Tense situation, in prison, feed in stocks, far from home, no advocates. You can't imagine probably a situation that would be worse for anybody than for Paul and Silas right now. You know what they're doing? Worshiping. It'd be understandable if they were praying. Lord, 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 help me, help me, help me, protect me, protect me. Help me escape. They're worshiping God in the middle of the night. When have you experienced something that was completely troubling to you and even maybe painful to you physically or, or, or maybe even emotionally and felt in that moment the desire to sing holy, holy, holy. Paul and Silas are worshiping God in the middle of the night. And this jailer hears this. He has probably, in fact I know, he has never seen someone, a couple of guys in that context with joy so deep that they can worship and sing in torture. Where does joy like that come from? Where does joy come from for a lot of people? Well, for a lot of people, it comes from a lot of places. But you take the health away, and there is no joy. Uh, Randy Thompson and I uh, uh, walked into a coffee shop the other day, and there's a barista there that, that I've known for, for for probably ten years, and I don't even know what her name is, uh, but but when I come in, she knows what it is that I, I want to I drink, and we chit chat and and talking, a very nice, very nice woman, and uh, Randy and I were talking about something, and I said, you know, money can't buy you happiness. And she said, you know what? I'd like to give it a shot. There's a lot of joy that you can get from a lot of different means in the world, but take away, say, your health. And there is no joy. Or you take away the security. You take that security away and there is no joy. You take the love away and there is no joy. Or you take a person away and there is no joy. So really, deep down, what what is going on here? Well, the jailer is witnessing people with joy so deep that not even torture can take it away from them. The jailer is witnessing people with joy so profound and so deep and so integral to their, their, their life and their every day that not even torture can take it away. I want to be like that. And then the second astonishing thing takes place, an earthquake. <laughs> it was law among these jailers that if prisoners escaped, that his life would be forfeit. And he tortured these guys and he realizes that the chains had been broken and what are you going to do if the chains are broken, the doors fly open, and you can get away from a guy that is causing you a lot of pain? You're going to get out, right? And he knows this. This is what he anticipates. So he starts to fall on his sword. But Paul and Silas try to stop him, and they tell him that no one is left. You know what they've done there? Paul writes about it in the 12th chapter of Romans. They've not been overcome by evil. But they've overcome what? Evil with good. He has never, 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 never experienced this. Here's this ex GI blue collar jailer who is seeing a sermon rather than hearing one, at least up to that point. He has never seen joy like this, and he's never seen kindness, at least experienced it personally, this kind of kindness, kindness like this. Well, here's the thing about this group. They all come to Jesus as different individuals. They are as different as they could be, but they, because on the inside have the same need, all come to the same medicine. And when you get right down to it, they were all slaves. Why did that jailer try to kill himself? You know, we read about jailers losing prisoners and in some cases they run away. In other cases, you know, they kind of waited out. This jailer tried to kill himself because he was a slave to duty. He was as much a slave as that girl. Now listen. When this guy realized that the one thing that gave him his identity was gone, his duty, his performance of his duty in that prison when he realized that the very thing that gave him his identity and gave him his structure and his his definition in his mind, when all of that was gone, he had nothing to live for. But now he is in the presence of people who had significance even though everything had been taken away from them. And they had been tortured. And they had been been thrown in prison because of a kindness shown to a demon-possessed, evil spirit-possessed woman. And they're tortured in the middle of the night. Now, how do I know that? It's because Luke tells us that Paul and Silas were praising God in prison. He is in the presence of people who had significance, even though they were in straits. They were praising God in the night, in the dark, in the stocks, in prison. They had joy because they had made God in all of His beauty and all of His mercy and love and kindness and revelation to them their supreme good in the world. And even though everything else was taken, they still had that treasure that nobody could take from them. And for that, they praised God. So what does this tell us about the Gospel? Well, it helps us to understand how the, the Gospel is a power. The Gospel really is able to move in every person's circle with power to change their lives. I think about the power of the Gospel in my broken Portuguese living in Brazil. We saw, uh, we saw a, a, a senior executive vice president of one of the largest banks in Brazil become a member of the Lord's Church. Out of 20,000 employees in this nationwide bank, he was employee number 14. And the gospel moved into his life in such a way that it changed him. We saw a, a, a cook who was, had, had no formal education whatsoever. He looked like Mike Tyson, you know, he, and, he, and he, he acted a lot like Mike Tyson in his early life. His, his Portuguese was horrible. I spoke better Portuguese than he did, and I was a stranger and an alien in his country. And yet, God relationally was able to move into this guy's life, and for for people to accept him and to love him, where nobody else in the world had. He had run away from home. He had, he he was he was he was a thousand miles from home, living with people that were not his family, and, and working for them, and and trying to adopt them, even though they would never adopt him. But he was adopted by the church because relationally, concretely, he became family. There was the guy in the the, the video store, who. Had the, the problem with, with pornography, and living in Brazil, one of the best places to get pornography was to be the owner, or not to be the owner, but to be a, a, one of the, the number one employee at a, at the at the, the video store. And to sit down and for this guy to have a power encounter with Jesus where he was able to walk away from pornography in such a way that he never looked back but found joy in his heart was a tremendous thing. The Gospel is a power that moves into any circle, culturally, ethnically, relation, whatever it might be, economically, and has the power to change people's lives. But then secondly, the Gospel brings everyone together. In San Antonio, the Gospel brings people of all cultures and backgrounds and social status and economic status etc. 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 together as a family. You know, there, there's so much that's made of race in this country, and I think it's the way we talk about it is so wrong. You know, we we try to 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 put away to, to try to put away the way that God made us in order for us all to look the same. Listen, our church is not to be colorblind, our church is to be colorful. God made us black and white and brown and yellow, whatever color there might be out there of a human being. And the same with the way that we're educated, and the way that we're, we're blessed socially and economically and all these different ways. God brings all of us together in all of the ways that we've been created, in all of the ways that we've experienced life, in all of the ways that we do life, and brings us together in, in His Gospel to form one body, His church, the Bride of Christ. The church family brings people together who would never have anything to do with each other in normal circumstances. Listen, I'm a preacher. The only way I can have anybody have anything to do with me is for them to go to church. (laughs) But you think, you just... We have a smaller crowd on Sunday night than on Sunday morning, but think about Sunday morning, think about Sunday night, I don't care, but think about how different we are. Think about how different we are. And how, unless it was for the gospel, unless it was not for the gospel, how we would probably never run into each other. Especially in light of some of the distances that we drive to come into be a place. Uh, Come to this place to worship God. What I wonder is when we. When we come together and we recognize the power of the Gospel in the body of Christ here at MacArthur Park, and we see, we see the power, how it's changed people, that, uh, and we know their personal stories. Sometimes we don't know everything, but we know enough to know that God really moved into their life and that they've made radical changes in their life. They, they were proud, arrogant people and they've become humble and modest before God. Or they were wild and, and they were uh, reprobate in the way that they, they lived and dissolute in the way that they lived their life. And now they have self-control and their, their life is more ordered. Or they were chasing after things with all of their might and they were greedy and they were materialistic. And they, 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 they were trying to stuff that God-shaped home in their heart with everything materialistic. And now they don't care about any of that stuff even though God gives them the power to, to, to earn a lot. But now that's not their God. They give it away to their God's purposes because God is their treasure. I wonder when we come together and recognize just how different we really really are, we perceive we perceive the power of the gospel in people's lives. And you know what I, I want to do when 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 I see people's lives changed? And I see joy streaming in, and I see hope erupting and blossoming in their life, where there was hopelessness and there was addiction and all of these kinds of things. It makes me want to sing hymns, even in the night. It makes me want to be able, with that kind of joy, to sing hymns in the middle of a long, still night, where the end may seem, a lo- the dawn may seem, a long ways off. And the moments and the ticks of the clock to that dawning of a new day may be long and torturous. But because God is that treasure, has changed me and changed you. Sing the hymns of praise. Some of our shepherds will be down here at the front. We're going to praise God right now for the power of the Gospel in my life and in your life and in everyone's life. And in, in anticipation of the power of the Gospel in the way that when we're faithful and, and we are good stewards of that Gospel as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth and sharing that news with people wherever we find them in the ways that are appropriate for the life that they're, they're leading and the, the way that they learn and anticipation of the way that it's going to change those lives, we want to praise God tonight. If there's any way that we can serve you tonight, our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Let's stand and sing together. of strife when the strong tides lift and the cables strain will your anchor drift or firm remain we have